Hello and welcome. This is Colleen O'Grady, the host of the Power Your Parenting Moms of Teens podcast. This is a gathering place for moms of preteens, teens, and young adults. My mission is to first and foremost support and encourage you, mom, so that you can live well and reclaim your life. Two, the show will help you have the best possible relationships with your teens so that you can communicate, motivate, and guide them effectively and actually enjoy them. And third, I will bring you top-notch guests who will share the newest in adolescent research and trends so you can be prepared and aware of what your teens are facing today. Always you will leave each episode armed with practical parenting tips. Welcome back, everyone, to the 229th episode of Power Your Parenting, Moms to Teens podcast. I'm Colleen O'Grady, the host of the show. Are there any anxious mothers out there? Have you ever been shamed for being an anxious mother? Well, I definitely have been an anxious mom. Just ask my daughter. Actually, I have never met a mom, especially a mom of a teen, who hasn't had to deal with anxious thoughts. There might be a correlation between your anxiety and some of the behaviors that your teens have. So moms are going to worry. The challenge is how to make anxiety useful. And it can be useful, but of course, it can also be harmful to ourselves and to our parenting. In this episode, we talk about how to get curious about anxiety and how we can dial down our suffering and agonizing over our kids. Joining us today is Yael Goldstein Love, who is the author of the novels The Passion of Tasha Darsky, described as Showing Signs of Brooding Genius by the New York Times and The Possibilities forthcoming in July. She also practices psychotherapy, a particular interest in the transition to parenthood, and is working towards her doctorate in clinical psychology. Her dissertation research focuses on how mothers experience their anxiety for the unknown futures of their children. She is a graduate of Harvard University and currently attends the Wright Institute. Her writing has appeared in the Boston Globe, the San Francisco Chronicle, the Wall Street Journal, Speakeasy Blog, the Atlantic Online, the Forward Commentary, and other places. She lives with her six-year-old son and a very patient cat in Berkeley, California. Here are a couple of quotes from her article on maternal anxiety. There is a mismatch between the primal maternal drive to protect our offspring and our knowledge that we're largely powerless to do so. And this gap between what we long to do as mothers, taxed with seeing the next generation, and what we can realistically do as human beings, is one of the more brutal gifts of evolution. No wonder anxiety is such a fundamental part of motherhood. We don't often think about the sheer existential heft of caring for a child, and how anxiety is baked right into it. To honor this aspect of mothering would be to look head-on at realities we all find harrowing, that life is fragile, we never know what's coming next, we suffer, and in the end, we die. Maternal worry gets at the heart of what is terrifying about being alive and about loving. Welcome, Yael Goldstein-Love. Thank you so much for having me. So are you a mom? And if so, what are the ages of your kid or kids? I am a mom. I have one six and a half year old son. Okay. You're busy. I am busy. Yes. 
And I know you're a therapist and you also in a doctoral program specializing in how moms experience anxiety, right? That is right. The doctoral program is just in clinical psychology, but my dissertation was on how moms experience anxiety. And that has become a real specialty of mine, both as a mother and as a a researcher. (laughs) Yeah. So tell me, how did you get interested in that? I mean, very much through my own anxiety. I went back to school to get my doctorate when my son was really little. He was only a year and a half. And I was so interested in the fact that everything you're learning, you know, about the development of a human being, the development of a mind is about those early years. But it's all from the perspective of the child in this like two person drama. You know, it's not from the perspective of the mother. in this. And I was very much involved in this drama from the other side. I'm like the side character. And so I really started delving into like, well, what is written about this? What exists? And I was really surprised because my experience, anxiety was so front and center in my experience of becoming a mother and being a mother. It has continued to be front and center of my experience. And, you know, although it's changed. And I was so surprised to see that when things were written about the maternal experience, the mother's experience, you know, there was stuff about like her rage. There was stuff about, you know, ambivalence and resentment. But whenever people would talk about the anxiety, it was like sort of a side issue. And it was on the way to talking about something else. And I became really curious about that. You know, I think this is interesting in itself, the anxiety. Why are people not writing about this? And so I decided I would make that the topic of my dissertation. And it was so interesting because it's a qualitative study that I did. And I put out a call, you know, one day over social media, you know, any moms who who worry about their kids, would you like to talk to me? I had a (laughs) hundred responses within a few hours. And I had these wonderful conversations with many, many moms. And what was so interesting to me, you know, which was exactly what I had been feeling, that this is not being treated as something fascinating and rich like it is, is how many of these mothers in the interviews, they'd be surprising themselves with what they're saying, you know, saying these things like, oh, I'm having all these insights. And, you know, no one has ever treated this might anxiety as a mother is interesting before. So I've never thought of it as interesting. And I've never had these insights before. That really, it reinforced for me how important it is to actually name the anxiety, realize what an important and crucial part of mothering it actually is, and treat it as interesting in ourselves so that we can make meaning of it and actually get some richness and information out of it. That's so good. Because I think most moms feel bad about being anxious. Is that what you found? Yes. So one of the most common threads that I found about what mothers worry about, there are many common threads, but one of the most interesting ones to me was they worry about their worrying. They worry that they're worrying too much. Like I'm an anxious mom. I'm going to mess up my kids. You know, and there's this sense that there's some perfect amount you could worry. You know, it's like, if you don't worry enough, you're neglectful and you're cold and you don't care. If you worry too much, you're smothering. And it's like, what's the right amount? And I think that this is something that really dogs mothers and makes mothering even harder than it has to be. Mm -hmm. I love that you're approaching anxiety from a curious place and seeing it as interesting instead of a burden. I mean, it's that too. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely a burden. I know anxiety well. Yeah, we all do, right? We all, I think, I think it's impossible not to be a mother. I mean, to be a mother and not know anxiety well. I mean, I think you're right that, yeah, it's from this place of curiosity And I know that for me, it's when I switch to that place of curiosity, that then it becomes not only manageable, but actually useful. 
like our anxiety is useful when you think about it. I mean, certainly like in those early years, our anxiety is crucial, right? Because it's this guide to where the dangers are. I mean, we have to be a little careful because our anxiety can outstrip the dangers very easily. (laughs) But then I think as our kids age as well, you know, the older they get, the more they become their own person and our anxieties change. They become much more attuned to who is this person and what are the things I should be anxious about this person. I think that there's such important information there. And often the important information is not so much or not entirely about the child, but about us or our relationship with the child, or like sort of, you know, areas where our own psychology, our own hidden ways of seeing the world or our fears and beliefs that we haven't really looked at are getting in the way of maybe of our seeing our child clearly or getting in the way of our relationship. And so I think that, you know, the more we can approach our anxieties with curiosity, the more we can actually get out of those anxieties and actually deepen and free up our relationship with our kids a little more. No, that makes total sense. Because if you view it from a place of judgment, you don't want to look at it. Exactly. Exactly. And actually, that was another thing that I found in my dissertation research, which was so interesting to me, which is the mothers who came in to the study saying, I'm so anxious, I'm so worried. When I would do these interviews with them, I mean, they were, but they were not ruled by their worry. They were not controlled by their worry, actually, because they were looking at it. And they would speak about all this meaning and richness that they would get from the war, like it deepened their life and their appreciation. Whereas the mothers who came and say like, you know, I'm really not that worried. Like I control my worry very well. I use these thought stopping techniques and I'm not even sure why I responded to this. They, like in the interview, deep fear would emerge. And in fact, like there was this, almost all of the mothers who said like, I'm not really worried. At some point there would be this theme in the interview that would emerge about some sort of fantasy of escape to some like safe place. And I was like, well, this is it. I think it's good to look at and think about our worry and our anxiety. Oh, I do love to think about escape. That's a great thing. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't? I mean, I'm not dumping on escape. Who doesn't love to think about that? Okay, so I'm curious. Have you explored anxiety in the father's? No, I really would love to do that next because I would love to know the difference between mothers and fathers on this. Yeah, I'm curious if you have any thoughts about that. Yeah, I don't have research for it. But what I've seen a lot in my practice is that I think often, not always, of course, but I think often moms are more in the weeds. They know more of the details. They know the daily interactions, you know, from little on. You know, in the high school years or middle school years, you know, the families, you know, the kids, you know, the school, you know, everything. And I think the more you know, then it's easier to be more anxious. And if you're more of a bird's eye father, then you don't have as much to be anxious about. You have a principle. Yeah. Like my daughter needs to hang out with her friends, but you know, (laughs) you know what happens when her friend Brittany You just know all the details. And so there's just so much more to worry about. I think that is exactly. I have a novel out that's about maternal anxiety. And in this novel, the husband refers to the wife's tendency to do this as a disease of too much seeing. And that's good. (laughs) Like, yes, that is exactly what you're saying. It's like, yes, you know all the details. So once you know all the details, how could you not see it all and see it all play out? Yes. So you might as well tell our listeners, what's the name of your novel? Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, it's called The Possibilities. And 
It is about maternal anxiety. It's really about how you love someone through the uncertainty, you know, the uncertainty of like, you have no idea what's going to happen to your child, and yet you have to be sort of committed to their life in this unique way. And it grew out of my own postpartum experience, which was, like many postpartum experiences, so dominated by this sense of, you know, hypervigilance. What if this happens? What if this happens? What if this happens? And they all felt like possible worlds, you know, spinning off. And so to capture what that felt like, I used this sci-fi metaphor to say, you know, imagine if at the moment of birth, the laws of nature briefly change, which I truly feel like they should, like at least for a few months, right? (laughs) (laughs) And every possible world not only exists side by side, every possible reality, but they actually can interact. And so in the book, that's what happens. You know, this woman, she has her baby, almost dies during birth, which was what happened, unfortunately, in my birth as well. And then he disappears from his crib at eight months old. And it turns out he's sort of caught between these different realities. And she has to sort of go through a very strange adventure to find him. But it's really the whole thing is a metaphor for the psychological experience of becoming a mother and reconciling ourselves to loving someone through uncertainty. Yeah, sounds really good. Thank you. All right. So let's go back to maternal anxiety. And here's my question for you. Where do you think anxiety can be useful? And where do you think anxiety is not? Yeah, what a great question. I think to the extent that we regard our curiosity, our curiosity, I already gave away my answer. We regard our anxiety (laughs) with some curiosity and some distance, you know, we don't take it as a given. I think when anxiety becomes really not useful is when we take it as fact. You know, I have this feeling and it's a fact. This is dangerous. You shouldn't do this. You've got to curb your behavior in this way. Then it's not useful. But if we take it as one piece of information, hey, I'm anxious about this. And then you start thinking, well, why am I anxious about this? What am I actually anxious about? This Does this have to do with my kid and the reality of the situation? Does this have to do with me and, you know, something in my own personality or something in my own past or something going on for me right now? When we can really regard it as one piece of information we're curious about, then I think it can be really useful when we take it as a given to just act on, to control us or to control our kids, then it gets in the way. I love that. That's so true. And I would add to that is like the neuroscience in terms of that anxiety can be in more of that emotional part of the brain. And if it just stays there, it's limited. Yes. But when you bring curiosity, which is actually a higher brain functioning, then it integrates into the higher brain and then there's possibility. So you almost see anxiety could be a stepping stone for either curiosity and also taking action. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I love that way of putting it sort of in terms of the brain, you know, that are you going to have this like quick loop just from the subcortical like <gasps> to like do, 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 or are you going to bring in your sort of, you know, your cortex and your thinking and and actually have a pause and think about why you're feeling this. And that makes all the difference. Yeah. All right. So my audience is moms of tweens and teens and young adults. How do you think adolescent exasperates maternal anxiety and what can mothers do about it? I think it exasperates it a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And I can speak to that personally, for sure. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you're the one who's actually gone through it as a mother. I have not yet. I've only seen it from the therapy side. But 
I definitely think in a way, it's the time that puts the most pressure on maternal anxiety other than that newborn period. And then that newborn period, we're warned about it more. You know, it's like, yeah, we're yeah. Warned. okay, but when it comes up in adolescence, like, oh, well, you know, you're an old hand at this. And, but no, it brings up all those same things again. And I think for so many reasons, I mean, both because suddenly your child is so much less in your control. They're out in the world. They're making their own decisions. And it's your job as a parent to sort of allow them to do that while also having some parental role of even like, how do you balance that? I mean, that brings up so much anxiety. I mean, talk about like worrying about your worrying and how to get the balance right. I think it's in adolescence that in some ways that becomes hardest. Am I being smothering? Am I being neglectful? Should I be allowing this? And then I also think the rejection, you know, that comes. It's like that tight connection between maternal guilt and maternal anxiety, which are so often hard to pull apart. And then when your child is rejecting you and you feel, in my dissertation, I write about this as bad mother slash bad world. And it's so hard. But it's like, am I the good mother who's going to protect you from the world? Or am I the bad mother who's trying to like keep you from the world? There are so many, so many iterations that connection can take. And I think adolescence almost throws every one of those at you simultaneously. I mean, I think that is probably most or one of the most anxious times for a mother. And then your kid goes to college. I mean, I think that there's this special anxiety that comes then. I mean, first of all, you know, they're leaving the home. But another thing that I think really happens with maternal anxiety at that point is, you know, you think you know your kid. Here's my kid. Like, I really know this person. They're pretty mature if they are. Or like, here's where they are and things. And then they go off to college and there's always this intense regression when a kid goes to college. Like, it's almost like they have to go through all these stages again because they're seeing their family in a new light as they leave home and they're out in the world and they're going through all these like pressures of having to become a person in the world. And it really does regress us. And we really do sort of go through kind of these developmental stages again. And I think that can bring up so much anxiety in a parent because you're like, what's going wrong? Have I done something wrong? Is my child okay? And so I think in all of these stages or in all of these sort of pressure points and pain points of anxiety, both in the teen years and also when a kid goes off to college, again, I think the most useful thing is just that pause and that curiosity and knowing that this anxiety is going to come up, like being aware that this is an incredibly anxiety provoking period, that so many things of your own adolescence are going to be coming up, things you don't quite remember or haven't really worked through and that it's, mm-hmm. those are hard things to work through and it's a good time to do it. And then with the college, I mean, I have found with so many parents, you know, just telling them like, hey, this is actually pretty normal. Nothing's going wrong with your kid. You know, when you get to college, you do regress in these ways and they're going to be great. This is good. That I think is really helpful to bear in mind. Yeah. So let me add to that. I think having gone through it as a mother, (laughs) you know, it's so funny because I've spoken at marriage and family therapy conferences and I've been the expert. And then when I became a mother of a middle school girl and a high school daughter, I'm like, OMG, OMG. (laughs) And I think it's hard. It's hard being a therapist and a mother. (laughs) I mean, there's probably a lot of occupations that it's hard to be, you know, this occupation and a mother. But I mean, I worked in UT psychiatry for 19 years. I've been a therapist for 30 years. I have seen the worst in teenagers. I've seen it. I've been in the Harris County Psychiatric Center on the adolescent unit, and I've seen everything that mothers 
dread and are hoping that would never happen to them. So I'll tell on myself, is my daughter's a freshman. So as your kids go from elementary school and middle school, I think that's where you really start to feel it because you don't know all those families. And so that's like a whole new world. And so I personally love to control. (laughs) (laughs) But that does not work really well with parenting a teen. So then high school, you know, then it's even more foreign, less control. So my daughter had a new little friend and she lived actually kind of near my neighborhood. But I was the kind of mother that would always pick up my daughter and take her to school and I had control over that. So she says, I want to go, you know, home with my new friend to her house. Now, I did know where she was at some point, but I didn't write down her address. And so one day she said, I'm just going to go home, you know, with so-and-so. And I said, okay. But then I started worrying because I didn't have her address. So I tried to call my daughter, no answer. So for maybe two hours, there was no answer. So In those two hours, I was able to work myself into complete, anxious, crazy person. And I pictured every horrible thing that I've ever seen happen in the Harris County Psychiatric Center and in my outpatient. And so I had all these stories that I could insert my daughter into all these horrible scenarios. So about two hours later, my daughter finally answers the phone and she says, what? (laughs) and I you know you can kind of see how that did not go well and so that conversation was a little heated and she said mom I was just making cookies with her mother Mm. she literally was making cookies with her mother wow and that was the beginning the anxiety it's a lot of suffering It's a lot of suffering if you don't take action, you know, and our imaginations can go from A to Z and our imaginations don't usually stop at B. We go to Z. Yes. (laughs) If there were more alphabet, we would keep going. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So I do think that the stakes feel higher in high school, you know, and then they get their driver's license and they drive around and less control. And you may be tracking them when you're watching them drive everywhere. And then when they make one turn that's off the path, then your anxiety can go crazy. And so, yes, it's a lot of anxiety. And then you're right, like the college thing or when they leave home. I mean, the truth is, is that I talk about in the high school years, like that we monitor them. We're still monitoring them, trying to get them from point A to point B, less of it, but we still, till they walk out of our house, we're doing it. Yeah. But then when they're in college, they're having to learn how to self-manage. Yes. And that is why there's regression because we have kind of been the support that almost like the dog park borders that keeps them in line, keeps them standing up the training wheels. And then there's no training wheels and then they self-manage. So then this happens to so many moms. I mean, it can be sons, but it's usually daughters who will say, so you have this college daughter and then she says, oh my God, mom, I hate my sorority. 
I wish I didn't join. There's all terrible. I have no friends and I just hate my life. I got to go. And then you try to get back with them and they're not there and they're not there and they're not there. So they leave you with this emotional bomb. And then often by the time you get back with them, they say, oh, I'm fine. Yeah. And they kind of needed to leave you with that emotional bomb. Like they're fine because they handed you that. They handed that anxiety to you and now they've offloaded it and now they can go have fun with their friends. Yes. I think what I would say is that that maternal anxiety, I think it is useful, but you can also decrease your suffering quite a bit. So if I'm anxious, sometimes it is like kind of a warning. Yeah. I'm I'm anxious because my daughter is going over to this person's house and I have a feeling that the parents aren't there. Or I'm anxious because I know my daughter or son just broke up with their person and I don't feel like they're really stable and they're driving around. Yeah. So sometimes it, that is true. Yeah. So I think when anxiety is more in the primitive part of the brain, we can go into that stress response of either the fight, flight, or freeze. And so I think when we get into those places, then for a while, then that isn't that helpful. Yes, I agree. Yeah. To sort of slide too far into that and then get stuck there is not helpful. And I think that that is where we start to really suffer more than we need to. (laughs) Yes. So with your research and with your practice, what do you do with the moms who are kind of more stuck and are suffering? To me, like curiosity is almost always the answer because I think (laughs) they're sort of wondering like, okay, well, why are you stuck? What's happening here? Why do you keep getting stuck in this pattern? I think that when we get stuck in a place like that, there's some reason, there's some function that it's performing for us. And for each one of us, it's going to be something different. And really, again, you know, wondering, what is this doing for me? Why is this happening? You know, really noticing the conditions under which it arises, how it plays out, where you're, you know, yes, like we can easily go from A to Z, but often where we go from A to Z, for each of us, like there's some sort of similar themes, what we go to A to Z about, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There's like some imagery, you know, and that can often be really informative. Like, oh, when I get really scared about this, I'm always imagining, you know, X or Y, you know, my child in a car accident, my child ending up in one of the conditions you saw in the hospitals, and really looking at that and figuring out what is getting us stuck. Why are we stuck here? I think is enormously helpful. I mean, I do think there's a way in which we can almost like in the way that you pick at a scab, you know, and it feels kind of wonderful and terrible to pick at a scab. I think we can do that with worry. We're just like, I mean, I do this with my son all the time. When you were telling your story about your daughter, it's like, I have been in that spot so many times where he'll go off with his dad. We share custody. And so Sundays, he's with his dad and they'll often not come home until late Sunday night. And in those couple of hours between like when I expect him and when he's home, in my mind, he's dead. Like every Sunday (laughs) night, he's dead between the hours of like eight and 10. And so, and I noticed myself that like, I can either pick at that scab or I can choose not to pick at that scab, you know? And if I want to pick at that scab, I can really work myself up. And instead I say, hey, you know what? 
this happens every Sunday night. So the chances are that this Sunday night is no different than every other Sunday. Like, yes, it's possible. Something terrible could be happening. But chances are this is just another Sunday night. And that really that does help. Yeah, so that's really good. Because I think when we're in anxiety, if we actually paid attention to it, we would notice that we're having the same thought over and over and over and over and over again. And so a lot of times our awareness is on the content of our anxiety. And so what you're saying is really more of a meta level, looking at it from a little higher and noticing, like you said, the themes and the patterns and increasing more of our awareness around the anxiety. Exactly. You know, looking at it as you might if you were hearing somebody else's anxiety, you know, and you Mm -hmm. might sort of stand back and say, oh, Mm -hmm. I'm noticing that this is what keeps coming up. I mean, I often think about it when I'm, you know, both in my own anxious mothering and also when I'm talking to people in psychotherapy, it's like either the anxiety could be so close. It's like it's up against your eyes. And so you can't see anything beyond it. And then it feels overwhelming. You are in its grip. There is nothing you can do. If you can just pull back a little so you can see the edges of it, that can make all the difference in the world. Like then you realize it is not the world. It is not all of reality. So just that little distance of pulling back can be so, so helpful. So if you're a listener, there may be a theme that you tend to like to worry about. Like a very common one would be school. It's like if you have a high school student, they're not going to get into college. They're not going to get into a good college. They're going to not go to college. So it could be all around that. So if that's the thing that you like to really be anxious about, and that's a stuck place, then every time that your teen is on their phone, can be a trigger for you to go right to the place of they're not going to get into college. So like that your mind would think that your child would be dead on Sunday afternoons. And you can have a little sense of humor about it. And when you can be honest about where your thoughts go, then like you said before, then we have more control. Exactly. I really think that being honest part is so key. And I'm glad you brought in the phones. Because I do think social media also, you know, when you talk about like the lack of control we start having when our kids, you know, reach the tween and teen years, I mean, the fact that they can be in your house under your roof and you have no idea what might be happening because they're on their phone or they're on their computer. I mean, I think that that adds such an extra element and it's such a new element that I think it makes it even harder because there are no Mm -hmm. models for how to deal with this. We didn't watch our parents deal with this. And that is such, such a source of anxiety for mothers of kids of those ages. Mm -hmm. So in your article that you wrote on maternal anxiety, I forgot the title of it. But But one of the things that you talked about, which I think can be really helpful for us to discuss, is the dichotomy that moms are faced. You know, like we're good mom, bad mom. We're too much, we're not enough. You want to say something about that? Yeah. I mean, I think if we pay attention to the cultural messages around motherhood, we have failed before we have begun. There is no way to win if you're really taking in all the cultural messages about motherhood because Mm -hmm. either you're neglectful or you're smothering. You know, where is the just right? There's really no just right sliver. Either you're like, if you're not a happy, playful mom, then you're sort of this plotting. But if you're too happy and playful, and we speak about motherhood, I think, 
as though there's a way it is. This is the way it is. And this is the way you ought to do it. And of course, there's no such thing. I mean, mothering is a relationship, first and foremost. It's a relationship between two unique individuals. And so no two mothering relationships are going to be the same, even when it's the same mother. They're not going to, you know, you're not going to be the same mother for any two children because they're different children. And I think that if we could stop thinking and talking about mothering in that way, and we could talk about, you know, we have this model for how we talk about the uniqueness of relationships. Like when someone is telling a story about falling in love, no one thinks, oh, this ought to be like how that person falls in love. You know, we think, you know, every two romantic relationships are completely different and we don't expect them to be the same. And of course, it's the same for mothering, but we don't talk about it that way. We talk about it as though there are these sort of rules to live by. And I think that the more we can get out of that mindset, at least in Mm -hmm. our own minds, Mm -hmm. and think about it first and foremost as a unique relationship, the better off we are. I love it. I am going to confess, I did see the Barbie movie. And (laughs) (laughs) I have not yet. I'm excited to that. It was fantastic. It was the kind of the same thing about them talking about that you can't win as a woman. But it's the same for mothers. It's like we can't win as a mother if we buy this dichotomy and all these cultural rules. In my first book, Dial Down the Drama, I talk about powerless parenting messages, which is basically this dichotomy. So I think the answer is it's all of it. It's not one or the other. It's all of it. Is you're loving and you set guidelines and sometimes you're stern and sometimes you're lenient. It's all of it. Sometimes worry is a good thing. And then sometimes worry is too much. It's the whole thing. And I think if you can accept what you just said, that it's this unique relationship for every mom and child, then we can expand this sense of mothering and we can get out of these boxes that make us feel terrible. I'd be interested to hear what you have to say. The thing that makes me really sad, because I focus really on moms, it is rare that a mom says, you know what, I feel great about being a mother. I mean, people, you don't. It's always too much. You feel like you're not doing enough. You feel your kid is in a bad mood and you feel like you failed. I mean, if I could wave a magic wand, I would tell every listener out there, you are amazing and give yourself tons and tons of grace. I could not agree with that more. That is something I think about so much is, yes, I mean, I agree with you. I almost never hear mothers saying, yeah, I feel good about how I'm doing with this. You know, I'm failing in this way. My kid's not doing well in that way. They're always sort of beating themselves up about it. Again, you know, you zoom back and you look at the pattern and you think, my God, almost every mother I know, sometimes in the most difficult circumstances, is doing a magnificent job. Even when things are not going well with their kids, which often they're not, but it's not within your control. But the amount of intellectual heft, attention, thought, passion, care, that goes into each mother's act of mothering on a daily basis truly fills me with awe, I have to say. And when I think about that about other mothers, that's when I can feel it about myself. You know, mm-hmm. It's like I look at mm-hmm. them like, my goodness, this is extraordinary. And oh my goodness, that must be true of me as well. I must be good enough, in fact, because look <laughs> at all these mothers and I know they are good enough. <laughs> that's awesome. Any last advice for the moms listening around maternal anxiety? I think... The last thing I would say, and I think this is very much in line with what you were saying, is 
be kind to yourself around the anxiety. Be kind to yourself around all of it because it is the most interesting and taxing thing a person can do is to care for another human in this way. And the more we can feel the sort of interesting, enjoyable parts of it and not be beating ourselves up about the ways that we're failing, the less taxing it becomes. And so I think the kindness to ourselves is in itself a tall order, but so important. Yes. All right. So how can my listeners find your new book and tell them the name again, where they can find it and how can they contact you? The new novel is called The Possibilities. You can find it wherever books are sold or an audiobook if you prefer that way, which I know a lot of moms do. We are often yes. very busy and don't yes. have time to look at a physical book. And for contacting me, I'm on Instagram at Yael Goldstein Love Writes. And my website is just my name, yaelgoldsteinlove.com. And you can find me there. Okay. Thank you so much. I know this conversation is going to be really helpful to a lot of moms listening. Thank you so much for having me. This was such a joy. This concludes this week's episode of Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. If this podcast has been helpful, I would absolutely love it if you could go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. This makes it easier for other moms like you to find the support and encouragement they need. Also, my award-winning, best-selling books, Dial Down the Drama, Reducing Conflict, Reconnecting with Your Teenage Daughter, and my newest release book, Dial Up the Dream, Making Your Daughter's Journey to Adulthood the Best for Both of You. You can find both of these books wherever books are sold. And you can find other great resources and contact me at ColleenOGrady.com, and that has two L's and two E's. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.